welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to Brain Chat. It's Dr. Mitzi, the nerdy neurologist. I'm also your board-certified neurologist, um, and I'm so excited to be back with you guys. I was off for a couple weeks, and um, I am recovering from my second bout of COVID, but praise the Lord, it was way, um, it was much better than the first go-round that I had, so I'm very excited to be up and moving around, and um, more so um, happy to talk with you all about a topic that's extremely important to me, um, which is mental health. And I've got two amazing, amazing super friends with me here tonight, um, Dr. Christy Jackson and Dr. Dion Metzger. Um, I'm so excited um, to have them with me. They are fellow alumni from Morehouse School of Medicine, uh, you know, where we went to school together. Um, and they are both amazing psychiatrists um, who have a depth and breadth of practice um, and helping people to work through these issues. So I'm really, really excited to have them with me tonight. And I will go ahead and pull up my amazing guests. Dr. Jackson and Dr. Metzger, welcome to Brain Chat, ladies. Hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. It's like a reunion. Yeah, it is. It is like a reunion. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and um, I'm so excited to have you guys. You know, I consider you friends in real life, um, which is great. <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's so appropriate to talk about these issues dealing with mental health, um, which I think is something that, you know, people have been grappling with, um, you know, especially in light of the pandemic, as we think we're coming out of it, and then we go back into it, etc. Um, but I think also it's really important for people living with multiple sclerosis, you know, as we we were discussing before the show, 50% of people with MS or over 50% deal with depression at some point during the course of the disease. Sometimes that's right when they get diagnosed because there's so much fear of the unknown. You know, what's going to happen to me? What is my ability or disability going to be like? Um, and if they have symptoms, are they going to get better? Um, and then also people deal with it during certain courses, like if they have, you know, a relapse or a set of symptoms that, you know, may change their ability to interact with the world or do things they used to do, there often may be depression associated with that. And then also anxiety, you know, so um, those are kind of two big topics that I want us to dig into. But before we get into that, um, I would love for you guys to kind of introduce uh, introduce yourselves. Like I know that you're amazing superwomen and, you know, are very accomplished psychiatrists, um, but would like for you to introduce and kind of talk a little bit about how you got into the mental health space, um, you know, and what you're doing these days. And we'll start with Christy. All right. All right. So as uh, Dr. Professor, Professor. <laughs> as Dr. Williams said, I'm a board certified adult psychiatrist who met these two ladies actually at Emory University. So it's a reunion yes. on top of a reunion because we know yes. each other. Double reunion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, after um, finishing residency training here in Atlanta, um, I worked for the federal government for some years, um, did some work in private practice um, for 
community mental health clinics. Um, I've worked for the state um, and worked for private um, hospital systems as well. Now I'm currently working in utilization review and management, and I also still see a small number of people via telepsych. That's me. Amazing. Okay. All right, Dion. Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Dr. Dion Metzger, and a similar journey, you know, um, came, to, went to Emory University, then went to Morehouse School of Medicine, and when we rotated through our psychiatry kind of rotation during our third year is where I discovered that I liked it, and I really enjoyed it. And I had majored in psychology from undergrad, so I already had the interest kind of in the human brain. Um, and then really after residency, got a chance to work in a lot of different settings. Um, so I did community psychiatry. I've also worked inpatient and private practice. And so I've really gotten a chance or and residential treatment too, mm -hmm. um, to see psychiatry from all different perspectives and to see how treatment is, how people are assessed and how, how they progress in all these kind of different treatment settings, which has been really helpful. Um, and I also had a chance to really work in media where I, that I'm really just big on talking about decreasing the stigma in terms of seeking treatment for our mental health, just kind of talking about the basics, which a lot of times people are very hush-hush, especially in communities of color. Uh, so just been really big on just kind of talking about about mental health and, and it becoming a priority. And I think the pandemic has really brought it to the spotlight, which is yeah. a good thing um, where people mm -hmm. who weren't seeking treatment, they realize that the isolation kind of made them kind of just realize that there was a little bit more that they were dealing with mentally. And um, so, you know, we always talk about the negatives of the pandemic, but I, I see that as, as a positive that more people have come to treatment than would have prior to it. I agree. Absolutely. So, you know, a couple things you said, um, you know, you also both are accomplished authors. Uh, Dr. Yes, Jackson yes. <laughs> has a book that she wrote with her lovely daughter, um, my self-proclaimed niece. And then Dion, uh, Dr. Metzger, also is an author. So let's yes. not forget all of the other magic. So all the practice magic, but the authoring and appearances, you know, so, you know, mm -hmm. um, amazing work that you guys are doing. So let's pause for a minute. And let's talk about that stigma. Um, so I think that that's really important. And you talked about stigma in communities of color. And, mm -hmm. you know, growing up, you know, in Decatur, where it's greater, where you know, it's greater. we didn't talk a Right. We didn't talk a lot about <laughs> mental health, you know, and there's such a contrast, you know, as I became a professional and walked in different circles. I remember I was giving a lecture um, out of town in Ohio somewhere and I got in the car with somebody um, who was not a person of color. And within five minutes, we were talking about what happened when she went to her therapist. Like I had never met her before, but that was just like general conversation. And that doesn't happen generally in our communities. You know, it's like, I see a therapist. So let's talk about yeah. that stigma and why removing that stigma is so important um, to, you know, increasing mental health um, in our community. Which one does you want to You got to tell us which one you want, because, you know, we're both chatty. So, yeah. Right. Okay. 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 Which okay, one do okay. you want, right. you want so, to answer your question? Okay. So let's, let's start with uh, Dr. Jackson and then we'll go to Dr. Mesker. Okay. okay. <laughs> So um, I really love what Dr. Metzger said about that, especially with um, the impact of the pandemic. So when the pandemic started, I was actually working, um, doing inpatient work, working on a locked psych ward um, for a hospital network here in our city. And I was amazed at the number of people that I would have admitted to my care, 90% of them involuntarily. 
So mm -hmm. committed against your free will to an inpatient psychiatry unit who had never talked to a psychiatrist before. Wow. Like wow. I was literally the first psychiatrist that they had met. Um, I took care of people who had not ever seen a therapist before. And wow. I would often say to them, okay, and they're, mind you, they're convincing me of why they don't need, <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's not funny, but that's the way I could cope with it. They're convincing me of why they didn't need medication. Mm. And I would say, well, we're here now. What would you think if I were a person with hypertension and I told you that the first time I talked to an internist was after I had a stroke and I was in the ICU. Would you not think right. that strange that my first right. interaction with a doctor who treats this condition is in the ICU? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, here and there people would say, well, I guess, I guess that's the point. I guess I can mm -hmm. see what you're saying. And so I would reiterate, you know, it, it makes no sense for this to be your introduction to behavioral health services of any type. This should not be the mm -hmm. first conversation that we're having about whether an individual is well or unwell, because by the time a person reaches an inpatient unit, you've already proven to probably about two or three people that are professionals that you're not okay. So right. to be in that setting and to be arguing the point that you are so okay, I spent a lot of time speaking with different people, in particular people of color, um, about what being or not being okay looks like um, mm. and just kind of getting them to be all right with that as a definition before mm. we even get to talking about what are we going to do about the fact that you're not okay. Mm. So that's so deep, right? And I don't think we talked about that um, aspect. You know, we talked a lot during the pandemic, but that's very striking to me that the first encounter was people actually being admitted. And even once they were involuntarily admitted, they still didn't really want to admit that something was wrong. I mean, I think that's that's very serious, you know, and I love that analogy that you made about hypertension, because one of the Me things too. I think you know, um, is important is that people don't take their mental health um, as seriously, I think, as they may take other aspects of health. People recognize a heart attack or what can cause, you know, a stroke but they really don't take their mental health that seriously. What are your thoughts about that, Dr. Metzger? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's exactly right. And a lot of times when I'm having to start somebody in my practice on medication for the first time, I really have to use medical analogies. I said, you know, if you had an ear infection, would you hesitate to take an antibiotic? And, you know, I remind them that depression and anxiety can be just as paralyzing, if not more. Yeah. Uh, so very often I have to really just point out that the mental health has such a huge impact on our daily functioning that right. we really have to start viewing it the same way. And once I start doing that analogy, people start to really understand because, you know, like even with like a broken bone, we wouldn't hesitate to put it in a cast, but you know, something with somebody dealing with severe panic attacks, they're still not sure if they want to get it treated where it's something where it's stopping them from going places or keeping them in the house or they can't keep a job or it's affecting their relationships. As you can see, it's kind of just spreading and affecting all areas of their life and having such a huge impact, but yet they're not prioritizing treating it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so important. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the symptoms that people have, right? You know, so, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, how can we get to the point where we, need to be admitted to the hospital and not recognize that there's something going on and seek some help. You know, one of the things I try to stress, you know, to many of my patients, I do a lot of counseling. Fun fact, I actually 
uh, very seriously considered being a psychiatrist as we were going through our medical school rotations. I love psychiatry, but, you know, I chose neurology, which we're kind of like sisters, um, mm-hmm. sister specialties. So I, I mm-hmm. still get a lot of psychiatry and neurology, but mm-hmm. I get the neurology too. Um, so I spend a lot of time counseling people because, you know, the mind-body connection is very real. And oftentimes my patients will have different symptoms that may be related to, you know, anxiety or other forms of stress. And so I think it's very important for people to recognize the symptoms of things like anxiety and depression, that it's not just kind of this picture of somebody who's in a bathrobe that can't get out of bed. Sometimes it is that severe where that is a primary symptom. People do have sadness. But what are some of the other ways that, let's say, depression can affect a person's daily life that may not be as well recognized or maybe things that people kind of blow off and say, oh, you know, um, you know, that's nothing. I don't really need to deal with that. I'll start. Okay. All of them. Okay. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Vesco, let me know what I forgot. Okay. That's exactly what I was about to say, too. All of them. All okay. of it. Problems eating or sleeping, what we call mm-hmm. a persistent, sad, or down mood. Um, you could be hopeless. You can have mm-hmm. excessive guilt or worry. You can have persistent, negative, ruminative thoughts. Okay. Actually, let me take a step back. When I say excessive guilt or worry, I mean um, there's something that you are worried about, but it's taking you, it's like eating up space in your mind for no reason, right? So Mm -hmm. let's say that I have a child that's misbehaving in school. Okay, great. Who doesn't? Um, But if that thought about what they're doing, how disruptive they are, whatever the case may be, if I can't get my work done on my job that I need to take care of said child in school because I'm constantly replaying Mm -hmm. the last thing that the teacher said or worried about whether or not she's going to get into college because of something she did in fourth grade. That's what we call Mm. persistent or that's what we call pervasive. Right. Mm. Um, When I say trouble eating or sleeping, I mean eating way too much and you know it or eating way too little and you know it. Um, Trouble sleeping. Um, There are so many people, especially with this, that have (laughs) horrible sleep hygiene. You're literally scrolling through social media. Scrolling through social media at two o'clock in the morning, and that might not be. I feel like you're calling me out. I feel like you're talking. I feel. I feel. I feel attacked. No, no. Let me tell you how we're gonna get off the hook. Let me tell you how we're gonna slide. This is fine. Okay. We still get up in the morning to go to work. Like people are literally sitting there in the middle of the night doing this because they can't sleep. They might have a bed Mm -hmm. partner that's steady snoring. So it's not even like there's not a sleepy environment in your house. But in order to feel better now, because we have little computers in our hands, like back in the 80s and 90s, when you couldn't sleep, you were just up. You can't play with a rotary phone. You don't want to get up (laughs) the channels. So the way our lives are set up, it's easier for us to take up time doing other things instead Mm -hmm. of getting the sleep that we need. Every adult is not getting eight hours of sleep at night. We all know that. But at the end of the day, if most of us are honest, People do not need a textbook to tell them that you are not to be functioning on three hours of sleep every day. Right. And that's where it makes us different. Right. We might have a run of that foolishness. God forbid one of our Mm -hmm. kids gets sick or something like that where we do go Mm -hmm. a couple of days. But at the end of the day, after a while, we're going to reset. We're not going to crash. And we're certainly not going to try to convince someone that it's perfectly fine. I'm doing just very well. 
um, only sleeping three hours a night. Right. No, you right. are not. And of course, and, obviously, also going to hurt yourself and others. That's in there too. That'll get you in the hospital. Um, right. But that's not the only thing that makes mm-hmm. the diet. Right. Anything you want to add to that, um, Dr. Metzger? Yeah. Um, and Chris probably mentioned it, but uh, anhedonia is yep. something that's really, mm. really common. Yeah, it's one of the kind of hallmark symptoms of depression where anhedonia just means you don't find joy in the things you used to love doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one is a really like when we're doing an assessment and we hear start hearing, you know, I used to really love going to baseball games or I used to really like going to the movies or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I don't, if I go, I don't enjoy it or I'm not even motivated to do that anymore. That's a really great symptom to just like, it's kind of like when our, when our light bulb moment, we're like, okay, this is sounding like, like depression. Um, And, you know, and I noticed that the terminology high functioning depression has gotten really kind of popular in the past month or two, but it's just basically saying that depression can present in so many different ways. Uh, Like I have a, a, a large population right now of of black female professionals who are patients, um, like physicians and attorneys. And, you know, sometimes being more successful makes it seem like we shouldn't get depressed. Mm. Right. And there's kind of like this, a little bit of a, Oh, you got this. Look, you made it this far. So you should be good. Right. It kind of seemed like we could handle it all. Um, So I think sometimes with depression, a lot of times we're seeing it as something where, Oh, if you're not, you know, they people look at what you have and they're like, you have all of this. Why are you still depressed? And that's yes. not how depression works. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't it's not based on who you have. It's not based on what you have, just like anything else. Like somebody can get a cancer diagnosis. It's not handpicked. Right. So mm-hmm. sometimes we have to really control the stigma of that, because I think especially in the black community, if they see success and they're like, why would they why would somebody do that? You know, mm-hmm. like anytime we have somebody in the black community famous who kills themselves, it's like, I don't get it. I do. It was depression. Right. It was depression. Um, but the first thing you hear is like, they had all that money. No, yeah. we, we have to kind of get out of that mindset of yeah. thinking possessions equals happiness. Yeah, that that is so key. Um, and that's so important. And I think the other piece, um, and you touched on this, is... You know, when people um, often have a certain level of success or even a certain level of responsibility, they often put themselves last on the totem pole, right, in terms of taking care of themselves. And, you know, I talk to my patients a lot about the fact that, you know, things begin to add up, right? All that stuff you've been stuffing is going to come back you know, um, if we don't address it and cause problems later. Um, I think another thing is that, you know, a lot of folks kind of talk themselves out of you know, you know, they see the signs, they see the symptoms, but they really just kind of intellectualize themselves out of it. And so that's where I see a lot of folks on the neurology side um, is that often people will come in to me with certain symptoms that I think may be related to anxiety or depression. I mean, and they want me to scan every part of their body, the brain, the spine, and it's all normal. And I'm like, listen, sis, <laughs> we got to deal with this other stuff over here. But even mm-hmm. in the face of that, sometimes it's very difficult to convince people. What is this um, resistance, you know, to dealing with mental health? I think maybe in our community, people feel like it's a sign of weakness. You're supposed to just mm-hmm. be able to pray and get through it. What is this resistance? that, you know, even in the face of, you know, everything else being normal, they're like, no, there's got to be something else wrong with me. It's not depression. That's not what it is. Because, you know, when, oh, sorry, Christy. No, you got to go ahead. No, I totally just said we should alternate and I'm not alternating. So okay, you know. fine. 
Um, I think that it's we got time. We got time. <laughs> we got time. I think it's because we don't want to be broken. Mm. You know, it's really yeah. it's it's easy to point to something and say, oh, we'll put a Band-Aid on that. But if the thing that you can't trust to a point that you made earlier in passing, Dr. Williams, if the thing that you can't trust is your mind, you mm. know, it's one thing. Yeah. So people can deal with, I can't trust my spinal cord all the way C-spine down to lumbar, no, sacral, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can deal with, I can't trust my spinal cord. But this business of, I can't trust my brain. And that's the motherboard. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like it's really that. I will say this. I'm going to literally touch it with my pinky finger and keep it pushing because I don't want to piss off your audience. And it's probably another chat that you're going to have with another super friend. Um, But that's why we have a lot of co-occurring substance use disorders. Mm. Because the amount of people that are not okay, like I've literally been on a telehealth call with a person and I'm just rattling through questions. Boom, boom, boom. And this is somebody who is about, they working now because they're logged into their job and they're about to click over when they see me. And a person has literally said that the last time they abused an illicit drug or used an illicit drug was right before our appointment started. Right. And that's acceptable because for them, it kind of gets them through to do whatever they have to do. And so there's a whole lot of that in the mix, too, that people are doing other things to cope. I'm brushing by substance use, but that's not the only thing that people do. Um, People overeat. People do things that are reckless and impulsive and out of character for them, not because they've lost their mind, but because they're hurting um, and they they need something to do. Any person that's divorced will tell you that for about the first six months after you get divorced, you are crazy. (laughs) If you were married for the right reason. (laughs) So we're literally just trying to stuff and deal in the best Mm -hmm. way that they know how, because the idea of something might be wrong with my brain is a big deal, which is why for you, not your specialty, but the other side of neuro, why it takes forever some people to come in to have Alzheimer's. It's never like mom did something weird yesterday. It's usually like a long, long very long time, months and months and months. Exactly. And And sometimes years for the person to own it. But it's because it's a weighty thing to say that something is wrong with my mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so deep. Mm -hmm. That's so deep. Now, thinking about self-medication and medication, let's let's transition a little bit to treatment. Right. You know, so I spend a lot of time talking with people in the office, you know, but I'm like, listen, I'm not a psychiatrist. Like, I can't see you on a regular basis for this piece because I got to treat the MS and all the other stuff, you know. Um, So let's talk about how we treat, you know, depression and anxiety. Right. So what are the roles of mental health professionals? So you have psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors. What are the different roles that they play um, in terms of treating these issues? Okay. So for if you're treating depression and anxiety, the studies show that the combination of therapy and medication work the best. That is kind of the gold standard. When we see things, really people make the most progress. Um, and with seeing a therapist, and sometimes it gets confusing because therapists really can include us. It can include psychiatrists, psychologists, um, licensed social workers, family therapists. So a therapist is just basically anybody you can go to and they can provide counseling. Um but psychiatrists out of that group are the only ones that can prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. And so I always say to somebody, if they're thinking about it and they're having concern, 
I, I, if they want to stop first, I would say, let's, how about we start with the psychiatrist first in case to assess if there needs to be medication. You might see a psychiatrist who also does um, therapy. There are a few of us who still do it and go from there. And if they want to refer you to a therapist, they can. But I like the psychiatrist as a starting point because like, you know, Christy mentioned, especially a lot of people, they're coming after things that are pretty severe where medications are more than likely going to be needed. So yeah. mm-hmm. I would like us to get the treated as soon as possible and go from there. But when you mentioned the whole, um, you know, why don't you just pray it out? That it, When I tell you, I've heard that so many times, like so, so many times. And I always had the same, same response. I said, okay. I said, God made psychiatrists too. God put me through medical school to help you. So Absolutely. if we want to go ahead and say, God made this available for us and these medications, right available for us to be able to treat it. So I think sometimes people think that they have to be mutually exclusive, but they're not. They're not. Um, You know, and and Christy and I are both, you know, very into faith and and we understand spirituality, but we also understand the impact that unmedicated depression and anxiety can have. It literally can can have people's lives fall apart. So something like taking a medication uh, can help. We can. And sometimes, you know, it takes a lot of education on our part telling them, which ones are not, you know, there's there's such bad stigmas about them being addicting, mm. them changing their whole personalities. And I said, actually, you know, my goal of the medication is to actually have your real personality shine with all this anxiety. Yep. I said, it's not to change who you are. It is to actually bring the best you out. So just kind of providing a lot of education on our part, because it's from stuff they hear in and family members, once again, in communities of color, the generation above us did not go to therapy. Nope. Absolutely not. And still, still need to go. Still need to go. No, if I ask a patient of color, their family history, their family psychiatric history, they're like, oh, no, we're straight. And I was like, yeah, but tell me about the substance abuse history. All right. right. Then I get a whole thing. That's because some of them were self-medicating the anxiety right. and depression with that. Right. But, you know, in the Caucasian community, like you said, you're talking to somebody briefly and they're already talking to you about their therapist. They will say, well, my maternal aunt has bipolar. Like, yeah. you know, that's they're a little bit further ahead in the mental health treatment than, than mm-hmm. we are. Yeah, it's much more normalized, you know, but I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation, treating your mental health as seriously um, as you would treat your cardiovascular health, you know what yeah. I mean, um, and other mm-hmm. aspects of your health. And when you look at it in that regard, um, you know, if you have hypertension or some other disease or whatever, you know, you would likely at least consider medication for it. You know, what did you want to add to that, Christy? You look like you want to add something. I probably did. It might be gone. Okay. It'll come back. It'll come back. All right. So, you know, so, you know, this show, I I like to educate people. I also like to empower people with information. You know what I mean? So where are good sources that people can go to for information? So for instance, you know, for MS, I really try to direct people to, you know, valid sources with good information. Cause I mean, if you go on them internet, you can find anything, right? all kind of crazy stuff. I mean, anything. Right. But I think that, you know, especially for our community, we need vetted solid information about, you know, mental health conditions, but also about where to find health help. You know what I mean? So if somebody's like, you know, all right, let me break down and uh, get some help. Um, how 
does a person go about that? Should they go to their primary care doctor? Do they go to psychology today to look for a therapist or kind of how does somebody kind of broach that subject, you know, um, and begin to start to seek the help that they need? Um, both, right? So recently we've had, I'm trying to figure out how to t- say this tactfully. We've had like a precipitous rise in mm-hmm. um, a new thing to me new called coaching, right? right. Everybody in the okay. moment is a coach. All right. So in my opinion, during the my lifetime as a psychiatrist, people are not generally, and as of right now, 2022, in my personal opinion, doesn't reflect Dr. Meska's opinion. I don't necessarily believe that we're still in an era where people are not in treatment because they lack information and access. Mm. Okay. Because people are finding everything else under the sun. People are finding eyelashes that reach to the ceiling. People are finding um, clothes that only millionaires wear at a quarter of the price. People are resourceful. Right. They know how to find what they want to find. Okay. So number one, the the first um, recommendation, I agree, your primary care doctor, if they don't know one, they can refer to one. Now in our city, we kind of got two things going on. There are a lot of people in, in practice. And if you're a regular person that falls in the middle, when I say the middle, I mean, by way of socioeconomic status, you might feel like there's a bit of a gap. Um, but again, it comes down to what do you prioritize? So your primary care doctor can refer you on whether or not they take your insurance. That's for you to find out through your insurance company or to decide um, whether or not it's a provider or a psychiatrist that can see you and you can submit a claim for reimbursement for services. So there's that. Um, number two, um, you can go on a site like Psychology Today. It's mm-hmm. a, something that costs money for the people that are listed on there. It's not inclusive of every therapist or psychiatrist that there is, that's for sure. Um, but it's a good place to start. And if you don't really kind of know what you're looking for, just like how you can go online and look and shop for a car, you really can kind of thumb through people that are in your area by zip code. And it also allows you to filter, if I'm not mistaken, down to nitty gritty stuff. You can choose um, the gender of the individual. You can choose Mm -hmm. the insurance company uh, or companies that they accept or whether they do or they don't. You can choose whether or not they have telehealth options available. Um, So there's that. Another thing, too, I think I'm going to say word of mouth. I mean, people Mm -hmm. ask me for therapy referrals all the time. Mm -hmm. And I give them the information. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they go, sometimes they do not. But even right. if it's something that I don't know, like for instance, I've been asked for a black male therapist. To me, they are unicorns. Um, oh so my I, gosh. Have, <laughs> I have to Very ask hard like, to find. I have to contact like two or three people and get my resources together to give an answer to that, right? But at the end of the day, I'm gonna try and look if you ask. And that was when I was still in clinical practice full time, and even now. Um, when I'm not. So just like you can find somebody that can refer you to the best place to get the most natural looking lashes or to get microblading done. Like I said, things like, I hate to say microblading, I've done it, but those are things that literally did not exist 30 minutes ago. We were not doing that. And now all of a sudden (laughs) it's endemic in our environment and we're trying Mm -hmm. to find the best of the best of the best to do that. So I'm not necessarily buying the idea that people don't know where to find good mental health help. Because you'll let a stranger cut your face with a razor based off of a video you saw on Instagram. 
So right. there, you, you do know how to find somebody. You just don't want to ask the question. <laughs> I love is it. it. Not I love it. Is it not a it's, it's true. It is like you. I mean, literally. I mean, that's the right truth with an F. Okay, that's the truth with an F, right? Okay. So, but before we go to like wellness, you know, so I like to talk about you know traditional things. I also like to talk about you know um, looking at wellness as a whole and things that people can do to kind of you know facilitate mental health. Um, but before we do that, let's talk about, and this popped in my mind, where we t- let's talk about stress, okay? So a lot of times when people come to see me and they're talking to me and I'm like, honey, this is depression. They're like, no, I'm just stressed. What is stress? All right, we can call what, what you want to call it. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about stress. I'm like stress, depression, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, baby. <laughs> it needs to be treated. But a lot of people are like, no, I'm just stressed. Let, let's talk about what does that mean? What what does that mean? Nothing. Like stress is the road to depression. <laughs> right. Yeah, stress is the road to depression, right? So stress is the road to anxiety. It's easier to give it a term like stress or burnout. Um, but if you meet the criteria, it is what it is. You know, right. sometimes it's just, once again, I think there's a little bit of stigma to it. You know, I'm just stressed out. It makes it seem like it's something temporary. Once this stressor goes away, then I'm going to be good. But what if the stressor went away and you're still not good? Uh, right. So I think, you know, it's just being able to really realize that stress is not something that is just casual and that we just act like it's going to, this too shall pass. That's not how we treat stress. We really have to look at it just because, you know, it can affect so many different areas of our lives. Yep. Mm-hmm. You and, know, and, and the I older I get... people, Go ahead. No, I was want to say, I want to remind people just, you know, with looking up therapists, there's nothing wrong with wanting a therapist that looks like you. You know, we are a, we are specialty that we don't have labs. We don't have scans we can do. We are somebody who we, our whole assessment is based on our conversation. Yes. So you want to be able to have somebody that you can tell everything to. Yeah. If you're feel like you're not going to be comfortable with a male therapist, you're not going to be comfortable with a white therapist or age. It does not matter. You can choose who you want. If you want them to look like you, that is totally okay. Um, I think sometimes people think that they just have to go to whoever is available, but you being able to connect with your therapist is is pretty fundamental in us being able to treat. So I always just remind people that it's okay to want, this is one of the times that it's okay to, you know, to, to want somebody and have a specific kind of setting of where you want to be seen. I love that, you know, because we talk a lot on this show about firing your doctor <laughs> if you're not getting what you need, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so yeah, with you. that relationship, as you pointed out, it's so key to have somebody that you can trust um, and feel like you can talk to. And I also encourage people, listen, if at first you don't succeed, try again, right? If you get I one mean. and you don't find that connection, it doesn't mean give up, right? You know, it means, you know, you need to look for another source, you know, um, and in, in the same vein, you don't have to have loyalty to somebody that you don't connect with and that you're not getting anything out of it. You know, I'm like, if you went to somebody and they gave you a bad hairdo, are you going to keep going back and getting bad hairdos? No. You're going to ask around. No. You're going to find somebody else to do your hair. Right. Yeah. Um, and although that's a trivial example, you know, I have one, some though. folks, a, I have some one, folks who are like, you know, well, I win and it wasn't really that good, but I just kept going. And I'm like, well, why would you keep going? You know, if a lot you of don't? people do that. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And so as we're kind of coming along, you know, toward the, you know, latter half of the podcast, you know, I think, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, the signs of depression, anxiety. We talked about stress, which is the road to likely depression and anxiety in many cases. And the older I get, the more I realize that once one stressor is removed, it's just going to be another one. So I tell people, as long as you awake, it's going to be some kind of stress, right? You know, we have to learn how to cope with it and how to deal with it. Um, something else that I really... Um, you know, try to stress to my patients is, you know, developing wellness practices, right? What are things that you enjoy? What are things that give you, um, you know, uh, make your eyes light up, going to the movies, going for a bike ride, hanging out with your friends, you know, what are things that help you calm down? Meditation, you know, uh, prayer, whatever those practices are, you know, we also have to do those things to maintain. So what are some of the things that you recommend to people, um, you know, to help them to maintain their mental health? In addition to, you know, you see a therapist, you also may take medication, but what other things can you do on a regular regular basis to kind of help yourself and kind of build yourself up. Tell people no. That's a good one. That's deep. Yeah. I feel I feel attacked. Just, I feel attacked. Yeah. yeah, I'm attacking you then. We yeah, gotta talk about a it lot of problems. Okay, offline. <laughs> yeah. As people, we are overextending ourselves. Yes. I tell you, sometimes I will have people write out like all of their obligations and things they have to do. And I literally go there with a marker. I'm like, all right, we're going to start crossing some of these things She did out. that to me one time. Real I've life. done it to her. It's not <laughs> worth it. It's not worth it. We are doing it to ourselves. We are overextending ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what happens. That is kind of a key where our tanks are on E. Yes. Because mm. we, we just going everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know what even really brings them peace and joy. Like, I remember mm. the first time that I was forced to think about that, a friend of mine who is, a, um, we're still friends now, she's a therapist. But at the time uh, that I met her, she was like the director of the clinic I was working at. So I say that to say we had a professional relationship, but I didn't really, eh, you know, know her, know her like that. Um, and so one of the things she asked me at the time I was going through a life transition. And so she was asking me, what do you like to do? And so I started to rattle on, you know, all this stuff. And she was like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> she said, no, no, you're telling me things that you used to enjoy doing um, when you were married. But what I said to you is, what does Christy like to do? Mm. And I didn't know. Wow. And I was old. I was over 30. And so one of the things that I say to people is to, number one, figure out a list of a couple of things that you actually like doing. You purely enjoy because, right. yeah, journaling is not going to be a good coping skill if you don't like being alone with your thoughts. Right. Second of all, if you write it down and don't ever look at it again, it's not helpful. Um, when we tell people things like exercise, OK, we're not saying that you have to become a spin fanatic or you have to go to CrossFit. If your thing is going for a walk. So now I work indoors all the time. I wasn't always like that. And I took for granted that I'm a person that has to see the sun a couple of times a day. So what that means mm -hmm. for me is I make sure that my office, well, it was, <laughs> is a well-lit space and that mm -hmm. I take time to take a walk outside every mm -hmm. single day to clear my head just so that I can bring my best self to my work day. Um, but people underestimate things like that. They think that it has to be something really deep or something profound or that, you know, people on social media are buying fancy cars and going to Dubai. Everybody can't do all of that. What we're saying is shortlist. What are some things that make you feel good? Take right. binge eating and drinking off the table because we all yes. know how to cook ourselves with that, right? 
Mm-hmm. Right, or we could binge right. watch. We could binge watch on Netflix. Right. You <laughs> just have to be careful what y'all watching. Y'all can't watch all of the narcos in one city. Uh, <laughs> nah, you can't watch the narcos the whole time. That, yeah, that's kind of going to be counterproductive. But this right. is what I want to is that brings you peace and makes you feel good and yes, do, do it on a regular basis, not just on a when your life basis. is falling apart. Yeah, you know, and I love that. And I was thinking about, you know, this idea of self-care, right? Self-care is a really big, you know, uh, hot button word, you know, but I think a lot of times people don't get to do self-care because they're in recovery, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so when you do something for yourself, like a massage or something, I mean, it's because you just at your wits end and you can't move, you know, (laughs) um, but self-care yeah, we, is we really doing those things other, before you get to that point where you're ready to fall off the cliff. You know what I mean? And so we really have to reframe this idea of self-care and make it a part of our routine versus right. waiting until we get to that crisis point and saying, now I'm just going to spend three days at the spa. And it's okay to do that too, you know, yeah. but let's do that and enjoy it and not do it because I'm just so burnt out that I can't move and I can't do anything else. And I yes. think that that's really key mm-hmm. is building these things into our daily practice. I have become a big believer in meditation. You know, meditation has really been a game changer for me um, just because I'm always thinking about what all I have to do it is for the kids and the job and the podcast and the practice and you know and so for me just taking that time to kind of quiet my mind really helps me to set my focus and when I feel like I'm kind of getting you know overwhelmed then I can take those five or ten minutes and just you know chill out and, and reset and refocus. And so, you know, I think that it's really important for people to find that thing that works for them. You know, Christy, you said exercise, things like meditation. Um, what do you have to add, um, Dion? Uh, anything. I think sometimes self-care is, it's, it gets kind of very generalized, like a spa day and things like that. Some people don't like going to the spa. So if it's anything right. that you enjoy, you know, I, I had a, a patient who told me, you know what, I just like to sit in quiet. Like literally I could be staring at the wall and I was like, that's your self-care. That's it. That's it. So, you know, just remembering that self-care is your definition. Um, You know, we may see these things on, on like social media of of all these different definitions. And it's something that it's whatever brings you, if it's watching your favorite reruns. So like for me, you know, sometimes watching like nineties and eighties reruns, I find it really comforting if I'm going through a Mm -hmm. tough day. That's (laughs) self-care. You know, that's something that it's just, familiar and it just brings comfort, then then we can go ahead and give it that self-care label. So I, I think sometimes people will think that it has to be like a spa day. Now, those are beautiful. I do love a spa day, but not like everybody does. Right. <laughs> not everybody does. So it's really whatever brings you peace. And, you know, and I love that you it had, takes for you to actually have some kind of insight in terms of what does, because a lot of people don't because their lives completely focus on those around them, especially see this with moms where they're like doing what's best for their kids and, and all this stuff. And they forgot what brings them joy. They, they started eliminating that part of their life to be at the soccer games and, 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 and doing all these different things, but we have to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I see somebody in the chat put that they love caller ID. They control their stress um, because they don't talk to people that they don't want to talk to. Um, Me too. That's the whole thing, right? So saying no, not answering the phone. um, You know, there's so many things. You realize that that people can can be stressors. Yes. You don't realize it until you step back and you look at it. You're like, ooh, every time I leave a conversation with you, I feel heavy. Yep. 
you're a stressor. People can right. be stressors and people you right. love dearly. That's why I was going to say, make it plain now. <laughs> Not <laughs> people, on the corner, okay? people you love dearly. People, you love, people yeah, who you might take a you out. Call, some of them too. Yeah. I know. Oh I my mean, God. I, I was with my sister yesterday. We saw phone calls coming in. We was like, no, we're not answering that today. We just looked, we both looked at her and we like, no, no. Hey, Boundaries. You gotta do what you gotta because do. Because we knew That's what content me. of the phone call would be. And so you have to know. I love caller ID. I can't believe we should just pick up phones just like nothing. I'm talking about reckless. I couldn't do that now. Right. Hello? Just pick it up. Hello? And then when it would beep, you would and click on it. Didn't know who it was. Didn't know who it was. Yeah, I mean, that mm-hmm. is that's so key, right? You know, is that, you know, we think about stress, but a lot of times we can control some of that and we can eliminate some of that just by saying no, whether it's no to answering a phone, whether it's no to certain types of conversations, whether it's no to certain types of events, you know, um, and in saying no, we're saying yes to ourselves. I mean, yes, that yes, is, that's yeah. so important. Um, when so we do things as, out of obligation, they become stressors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things I talk to my patients a lot about is prioritizing, right? Um, You know, because with a disease like multiple sclerosis, oftentimes, if you keep going and going, you pay for it on the back end, right? Um, You know, people have difficulty with things like fatigue that's a part of the disease. Um, And if they use that energy all up by 10 o'clock in the morning, the day is done, you know? And so the goal is to manage, um, so that you can be functional every day, you know, but you just may not be able to do as much as you think you are supposed to get done or, you know, or what have you. So, you know, that key is is extremely, extremely important. So parting thoughts. So, you know, this has been an amazing conversation. Like I could sit here and talk to you guys all day, but tell me <laughs> kind of what are some parting thoughts for the people, right? You know, the goal of this show is always empowerment. Um, we want people to be aware. We want them to be educated, but we want them to take that information um, and apply it to their daily lives. And, you know, so what are what are some tips that you would give people, um, you know, to um, let's start with you, Christy. Let's see some tips to recognize when you're at a point where you need some help. Um, and then for Dion, you know, um, uh, or for both of you, some tips about, you know, your mental health or maintaining your mental health. Um. I think one thing that we didn't talk about it here, but we're functioning functioning in it right now um, to use is the power of community, right? We talk a lot about villages and what villages are good for. Um, sometimes I, we underestimate the importance of, we do want to have boundaries. Everybody doesn't need to be in your business. So that's not what we're saying. Mm-hmm. But now mm-hmm. every human needs Two humans that knows all of their business, preferably not a blood relative, not for the sake of shaming you, not for the sake of being the boss of you. But at the end of the day, if symptoms are setting in, right, like what Dr. Mesca referred to talking about anhedonia, anhedonia can really look like people are inviting you to brunch and you just lie and say you don't feel good or you don't want to go or you got a headache, you got cramps. There has to be somebody in your circle to be like, now, wait just a minute. And I've had a moment like that when somebody kept calling me some years ago and I would text them and she gathered me so quick. One of our classmates, I'm not going to name her because she might be watching. She lived in another <laughs> state. She was like, Kelfie, you got one more time to not mm-hmm. pick up this phone when I call you. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't going to mm-hmm. see me, but she was like, I got to hear your voice. I'm not trusting this text message that you keep mm-hmm. sending back. Um, So I think that I would recommend that figuring out who your village is going to be and feeling figuring out who you can be vulnerable 
with. Yes, vulnerability. People are going to be the ones to be to say to you, hey, I don't like how you look. Or are you all right? You look like you haven't slept. People who don't know you can't tell you that you look like you ain't slept. Mm -hmm. They're too busy with their own life. So that and then obviously being receptive to feedback from said people. I love it. Dr. Metzger, parting thoughts for the people. Um, Just don't let one or two bad experiences with therapy or medications deter you from seeking treatment. Very, you know, sometimes somebody has a bad therapy session, they label all of therapy as bad. I really, it's really like Goldilocks. I don't even know if people still know Goldilocks, that whole thing, if they teach that to people anymore. But anyway, you know, sometimes you got to keep going. And I, I, I just want to for the people to realize that don't get deterred if you have one bad experience. Right. They're just like, it's all about finding the right fit. And that comes with for medications, but that also comes for a therapist too. Yeah. Um, even with the initial seeking of one, you know, if you're hearing a lot of people are full, it is, but keep going, keep going. Just like, just because it can be so life-changing once you get that right fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ladies, this has been amazing. I know that our audience will, um, you know, get so many gems and jewels out of this conversation. Um, I thank you so much for your time, um, for the amazing work that you're doing, you know, especially during these times where there are a lot of people, you know, who are reaching out to get that help, you know, since the pandemic started. I know it's hard to get a psychiatrist appointment these days. I'm calling around trying to find somebody that's got an opening, you know, but it's a good thing, you know, that people are now recognizing they need that help. Um, And so we want people to continue to seek that help, to be aware of what's going on with them, um, and also to do those things to care for themselves on a daily basis. Thank you guys so much. Um, And to our audience, we will see you again in two weeks on Brain Chat. Um, And don't forget to download our podcast once it is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where all Apple Podcasts um, are listed. And thank you so much to our sponsors, Janssen, Genentech, and Biogenetic. Everybody have a great night. We'll see you in two weeks.